As Chris said, I'm Dave McCune, Kids and Youth Discipleship Pastor here at Trinity. Yes, I have Legos. They're very fragile. I saw some Legos. Who had the Legos? Hold them up. There's Legos right here in the fourth, fourth row. This is amazing. We need more Legos in here, y'all. Again, it's so good to be here with you on Team Sunday. I would normally be repping my Buffalo Bills, but it's Ecuador today because it's just a goofy jersey to wear, and <clears throat> the Bills one is. But this is a shout-out to our a team I was on this summer with our high school youth. Where's high school youth at? I saw a bunch of you here today. They all went to Ecuador. You supported us. Thank you so much. But soccer, I mean, it's the America's sport of the future since 1977, I think. <clears throat> it's coming. I see Ted Lasso right here. It's amazing. Incredible. So shout out to all the teams that will be gathering. And a shout out to all the kids and youth that we have with us today. It's so good for you to be with us. You're not here because we want to give our volunteers a break. <clears throat> You're here because we value worshiping as the family of God today, the full family of God. And when we sing together, it's so good. It was extra loud today, y'all. It really was. And so thanks for bringing that. And also, we have a lot to learn from kids. So grown-ups, listen, we have a lot to learn from the faith of children. Jesus said, if we don't have the faith of kids, we're not going to know what it is to experience the kingdom of God. So if you're sitting near a young person, say, your faith matters. Turn to them and tell them that. Say, your faith matters. It's true. You are not just here as an observer. And uh, we already heard from Reed this morning. Reed did such a good job reading. And now we're going to hear from sixth grader Joaquin McCall. He's going to come up. So come on up, Joaquin. Come on up, buddy. Joaquin, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us about your family. Tell us where you go to school, how old you are. Hi, I'm Joaquin, and I go to um, Master's Academy in Marietta. That's my family right there. And I'm going to be reading the Gospel of Mark. Yeah, let's go. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around there was no longer room for them, not even in the front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them, and when they could not bring him to Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the, par- he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your heart? Which is easier? to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So good. Thank you. 
Thanks, man. You can go take a seat. Thank you, Joaquin. Oops. Joaquin, thanks so much. Great job to you and to Reed for worshiping, leading us in worship today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you into this place. We thank you for the joy of worshiping as the family of God today. God, we thank you for this story, the story of friends on a mission. God, of you showing up not just to bring, uh, bring healing to an impossible situation physically, but also internally. God, I pray that you would give us hope today that you can move in impossible situations. So be with us. Awaken our imaginations, Lord, to not being stuck by the impossible, that you are going to meet us there with your Holy Spirit in the places where we feel stuck. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, what Joaquin just read is quite the epic story. So in case you missed it, because that was a hefty reading, my man. You did a great job. Long reading. <clears throat> you saw friends carry their paralyzed friend in an impossible situation to a house where lots of people were gathered listening to Jesus, who is the celebrity preacher of the day. And then you saw them do something crazy. They dug a hole in the roof. And that is the language. They dug a hole in the roof. And I was rewarded by the commentaries on this one. Sometimes the commentaries show that what you thought sounded really cool in English isn't really cool in the original text, but this one was like, no, this is a major demolition project, so what happened was not something you can easily reverse. This is a major, major mess that these friends made on behalf of their friend. And then they lower in front of Jesus, but Jesus doesn't heal him right away. Instead, he says, your sins are forgiven. People are all sorts of confused, but then he goes ahead and does heal him. He walks out, and people are amazed. So that's what happened. And at the center of it, and this is the gospel account, y'all. So in any gospel account, we are looking to see what is Jesus up to? Who is he talking to? What claims are he making? Jesus is making a claim that he is God, that he has the power not only to unparalyze your body, but to unparalyze the sin that entangles you internally. And this is a major claim that sets off the tension, the central tension of the gospels, leading to his crucifixion later. And it happens here at the beginning of Mark chapter 2. And so since this is something that's so epic, and it's a gospel, one thing I commend to you in reading the gospels is to get in the shoes of the people who were there. So we're going to do that for a minute. We're going to sit back and take their point of view. If you're over 40 or you haven't been on TikTok in a while, you may have missed that there's a trend of a point of view post. A point of view post is you take the, po the, the perspective of the post, and you're supposed to imagine yourself looking at this post or this short video from that viewpoint. So we're going to take the point of view, the POV, of the main characters in the story to help chart a way through this gospel account. So kids, use your big imagination with it. And if you have paper, you might want to draw this scene. I think if you've got the coloring sheets, if you're younger, pick that up. You can draw this scene right along with us. But use your big imagination to feel, to smell, to see what these folks might have seen. So the first person we see is a man on the mat. So take the perspective of a man on a mat, a paralytic on a mat. <clears throat> Now, his perspective would have been like this, right? He would have spent most of his time at this level, looking up to everybody, everybody else looking down on him. He would have spent most of his time begging for his sustenance, hoping that folks would share news with him, but also share food, share money, so that he could make a living. That's how he's experienced most of his life. And on this day that we get to in the account, he hears buzz that Jesus has come back to town. Jesus had made Capernaum his home base, and then he went out to the countryside. Mark chapter 1 is a story of Jesus' words and works and how he became famous, speaking words about the kingdom of God that were setting people's souls on fire. 
setting, uh, showing an example of healings in ways that people found incredible. And so Jesus has come back to Capernaum, and everybody is rushing to this house to go hear him speak. They are so curious. They're so intrigued. They want to hear it. And so if you're the paralytic, you're watching the stream of people go past you. They're moving away from you, going to this house and filling it up. And this house is getting full, y'all. I mean, this is, this is beyond Taylor Swift or Beyonce or, hey, September 16th. Who knows what's happening September 16th? Lionel Messi is coming to Atlanta. And if you have extra tickets, please talk to me because they've, they've opened the upper deck. It is full. Everybody wants to see. And he's resigned himself. I'm the paralyzed one. I'm the limited one. This is what always happens. I have no chance of going to this because I can't get myself there. But all of a sudden, he sees people coming towards him. And four friends are moving the other direction. Everybody's rushing to this house. Four friends are moving to him. And the four friends put him on the mat and they say, hey man, we're taking you. We're taking you to see Jesus. We've heard that maybe he can heal. We don't know. We want to hear. We're going to make, we're going to see what happens. So they take him and they're on their way. Now, stay with the paralyzed man. Have you ever been at a surprise party? It's way more fun if you're the one throwing the surprise than the one who's being surprised. If you've ever been that blindfolded one, right? Come on, it's, it's no fun. So if you're on the other side of it and you've never experienced it, you might think twice about throwing one. Because to be in that position of being so out of control, to, put, to be at the mercy of your friends, can be a really terrifying feeling, especially when you don't know what's next. So that's what he's feeling. If you can associate with that feeling of being so out of control, being at the mercy of your friends, sit with that for a second. All right, point of view change. Next point of view is some friends. Some friends who are going to make a plan. They get to the party, and here's what they see. Do we have that image? All right, this is what they see. This is a scale model right here. I've been told by some... No, I have no authority to say this is a scale model. But this is really cool. My daughter, my my daughter Harper, nine years old, made this out of Legos. And this is more what these folks would have seen in the house. This wouldn't be like the apartments or the condos or the houses that we live in. So when you imagine going up on a roof, it's not shingles. It would have been a flat roof with panels, with thatched, thatched sections, with mud, with leaves holding it together. And they get there. One of my ladders fell down right here. But they would have figured out how there's a way to get up on this roof. So the friends get together. And I want you to associate with these friends for a second. Have you ever cared so deeply for somebody who's been stuck in something for so long? Maybe a sickness, maybe an issue that keeps coming up in their life. And you just feel so in your gut. You just want them to get over this. I know so many of you have felt this and you're feeling it right now. You have someone that in your life who you just want so badly for their life situation to change. I imagine these four friends are feeling a bit of this. And so when they get to the house and they can't get in, they get together and like, what are we going to do? We have got to get this guy to Jesus. And clearly, they felt it strongly because their plan is wild. So they get, they get together in the huddle. They're like, okay, guys, huddle up. What are we going to do? Okay, here we go. Up the stairs, through the roof, lower them down, on two. Break. Let's go. Hut. And they start moving. And if you're that friend again, whew. The jitters are, are sinking in. You're excited. You're like, yeah, I, maybe I get to go see Jesus, but hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. That part about lowering me through the roof? Really? Okay, to get metaphorically thrown through the roof by your friends has a lot of hope, but also a lot of terror in it, if we're honest. So these friends, they're either like just smart enough or just dumb enough to pull this off. But regardless, they go up and they start digging. Change the point of view. You're now someone inside the room. 
Okay, so imagine you're inside this room listening to Jesus speak. It is crowded. So when you imagine a crowded space, what do you go to? Now, if you're like me, one of the first things I thought of for some reason was the DMV or a, or a TSA line. It's, it's not that, okay? Because that's the wrong vibes. This is the kind of room that you're in. It's like a concert. When you go to a concert for that band that's up and coming and you're like, I heard about them first and you're in there and it's, you're like, all these people are in the know and we're all here because like, this is awesome right now. That's what this is. For those of you who went to summer camp, who went to summer camp this summer? We, we got some summer camp folks. Who's been to summer camp? You know those times when you're with the whole camp and everybody knows the same songs and the same chants and the speaker gets up and the emotion and the magic are all meshing together at the same time. That's what this is like. Everybody is hanging on every word that Jesus is saying. He's become famous, and he was kind of a hometown guy, and they want to hear what he's even saying. So they're hanging on every word. So you know what this is. Some of you, uh, middle school, high school, you, you just got back into school. You know what it is to have that kid who, like, at their desk, they, like, shake their leg all the time, and is shaking the desk, and you're like, is someone going to tell him? Is someone going to tell him? Because I like, can't pay attention, but I'm trying to pay attention. That was me. I was the leg shaker back in the day. Maybe that was you too. Or you've been, you're on that Zoom call, right? And you realize someone is not on mute and they're eating their lunch right now. Somebody needs to tell them, please. And you're trying to pay attention, but it gets to a point where like, the distraction is too much. We're going to have to stop. That's what they're experiencing. Because if you're in the room watching, all the energy, the electricity is there. But then all of a sudden, there's some pounding on the roof and some dust it's starting to shake down. And then a shaft of light opens up. You're like, what in the world? They're destroying this man's house. You see the dust filtering through the, the sunlight. And then a, a panel is ripped off. And then four heads peek in. You're like, I know that guy. What is he doing? This is, this is not going to go well. And then you're looking to Jesus. You're like, what is Jesus going to do with this? He's the celebrity of the moment. How's he going to handle this? And you're like, nah, this is not happening. You see a mat. And you're like, I know that paralyzed guy too. And all of a sudden... He is the first recorded bungee jumper in history, <laughs> lowered down through the roof. Like, what is going on? At this point, the teaching has stopped, and everyone's focus is changing. So the next point of view, and maybe you've never done this, is Jesus. Take the point of view of Jesus. You're teaching this crowd. People are eager to hear what you're saying. And what's so cool, when you read this text, when Joaquin read it for us, you get Jesus' point of view. We see what he sees says he saw the faith of the friends. We got to stop and sit with that for a moment. What Jesus noticed was not the destruction of a roof, was not a crowd that's maybe annoyed that what they came to hear, they're not getting the chance. What he sees through all of that is the faith of friends. The faith of friends who would stop at nothing to get their friend in front of Jesus, no matter the reason. That's incredible. Now, they see the faith of friends, and then Jesus comes over, and they're all waiting. What is he going to say? Is he going to make this guy walk? And he says, your sins are forgiven. Again, there's a connection. He says, I see the faith of the friends. That's what we, we know that Jesus sees the faith of the friends. He says, your sins are forgiven. Whoa. Now, if you're confused by that, I think these people were probably confused too. I was recalling my first and last piano recital. Some of you had some piano recitals recently. I got up, I think I was in first grade, got up to the, the bench, hit one key, and I froze. I was done. I was terrified. I could not move. I was stuck. And I don't remember who it was, if it was my mom 
or my teacher came and sat next to me and they comforted me. But how strange it would have been in that moment, like, Dave, it's going to be okay. Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> I think it would have been like, okay, can I go now? <laughs> I just want to go home. If we think back to the man, so the final, we'll come full circle, final point of view, back to the paralyzed man. All eyes are on him. Do you know what it is to have all eyes on you when you didn't want that to be the case? Can you identify with that? Some of you in back to school recently, you can feel this, especially if you're the new kid at school. That's a hard feeling. Some of you, first time on a job, or you've just done that embarrassing thing that you didn't want to have happen. You got called out for something that was a total misunderstanding, but now everybody's watching you. That's what this guy's feeling. It's already undignifying enough to be a paralytic, to have to beg for a living. And now your friends have busted a hole in the roof. You've interrupted the celebrity speaker, and you're lying on the floor, and everybody's watching you. That's a tough place to be. And then the one man who might be able to heal you says, your sins are forgiven. If I'm him, I'm confused. I'm like, that's really great, Jesus, but I'd really love to walk out of here. That would be incredible. Again, if that's confusing, it was confusing to others in the room. Because in the moment, there were some Jewish scribes, some teachers of the law who were there also curious about Jesus. They were threatened by the popularity that Jesus was garnering. And so they hear this, like, you can forgive sins. Wait a minute, wait a minute, that is a big deal. Now, this can be a tricky thing to wrap our minds around. So to help, I'm going to call up some friends right here. So McLean, Clay, can you all come on up? All right, let's welcome these folks. If this is a brother and sister duo, come on right here. All right, McLean, we're going to hand you the Legos. Clay, you stand over here. Now, we're going to do this as gently as we can. These are your Legos. Really, Harper built it. We're putting, you, you put three hours into this. You lovingly crafted this Lego scene. And then Clay's like, I want those Legos. So Clay, come take the Legos. Let's try not to destroy them. Now, you've taken them. So McLean, come over here. Show us, show us your best face of your brother just took something from you. Let's, let's all see it. We need to show, show everybody. Show this side over here. Yeah, that's good. Very good. So, Clay, you start to feel a little bad, all right? So you say, I'm sorry, and you give it back. All right. Now, Clay, tell me, who is supposed to say, I forgive you at this part in the exchange? Yeah, it would be McLean's job. So would it be a bit strange if this dude up here on a microphone, you're saying sorry, and I step in and say, oh, Clay, you're forgiven. I forgive you. They're like, no, that's supposed to be her line. What are you doing? So do we see... It's a little interesting for someone to say, you know what, I have the authority to actually say I forgive you when the brokenness happened right here. That's interesting. That's not the full story, but that's a bit of the picture of why people are like, ah, oh, this is interesting. This man is making a big claim. Y'all, thank you so much. Can we thank Clay and McLean for coming on up? But it's more than that. To claim forgiveness for someone else has a great power to it because the reality is we don't always have the ability to make amends, right? Sometimes the chance for forgiveness is long past. Either the relationship is so strained and severed or someone has passed on. And so that person can't come and actually say, I forgive you. And even if that's the case, even if you've been forgiven by somebody, we still, and you know this, we carry inside of us guilt and shame over things that we've done, over relationships that we've broken, over stories that we've told ourselves of how we are stuck because of the things we've done. And that is something no one person can fix. And it's nothing we can get ourselves out of. It would take an act of God to cure the internal paralysis, 
that we have because of it. It is a major claim that Jesus is making to say, your sins are forgiven. And incredible to think that it's associated with seeing an act of friends who put their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus. Now, what Jesus says next is the mic drop moment. He says, okay, I guess anyone could say your sins are forgiven, but so you know that I have the authority to do that. And he calls himself the Son of Man. He says, so that you know the Son of Man has authority. And he uses this phrase intentionally. Scholars think he said the Son of Man because the Son of Man is a phrase that in the Old Testament was used messianically, but it's also vague enough that it could have meant, like, I'm just the son of a human. I'm just a guy. And so it's meant for the reader, for the observer, either in the room or us now, 2,000 years later, if you're curious in Jesus, in Jesus, to be thinking, just who is this guy? Jesus is inviting us to say, who is this man who would forgive sins? who would say that that's what I came to do. So that's a question for all of us. So he says that phrase, and then he says, get up and walk. The paralytic gets up, he walks out, everybody's stunned. Moments later, people are abuzz. They cannot believe what they just saw. The friends on the roof, they are high-fiving, they are chest-bumping, they are doing all their favorite handshakes, and it's the greatest day they've ever seen. Yo, this is an epic story. It's one of my favorites. It's one that we actually use in training our volunteer leaders of what it looks like to be a team. And so what do we have to learn from this? There's a couple things that I hope we all take away. But the most important is this. Let's see if I can find my notes here. Jesus heals impossible situations. If you hear nothing else, Jesus heals impossible situations. And Jesus invites you to bring your impossible to him no matter what it is. No matter what it is. These friends thought they were bringing their friend because he couldn't walk. And Jesus dealt with something internally. It's not to say that the walking didn't matter or somehow the spiritual and the physical, like there's a, there's a hierarchy here. But Jesus knew we are a whole person. It doesn't matter what your impossible is. So bring your impossible to Jesus. Bring your impossible friend situation. Bring that friend drama that you feel, this is stuck, this is paralyzed, there's no way. Bring your impossible work situation where you've been frustrated for years. Bring your impossible financial situation, your health situation your relationship situation, that family thing that feels like it's stuck. Whatever it is, if it matters to you, it matters to God. And kids, I want you to hear that. What you feel, the fears that you have, the frustrations you have, if it matters to you, it matters to God. He wants to hear it. So bring your impossible, but when you do so, beware. Because Jesus likes to dig around a little bit. You may come to him with one thing, and he says, I'm going to put my finger on something else. There might be sin lurking around. This is going to be challenging to us. And the first thing that's challenging is Jesus cares about sin. Sin means missing the mark. The word is hamartia. It's from archery. It means to literally miss the mark. And Jesus cares or that we have something broken inside of us that needs to be rectified. So here's an image of that. So some, some of you kids, you know you've got that bully in your class. All right? So if you have a grumpy, grouchy, mean bully in your class and they break their leg, they're a grumpy, grouchy, mean bully with a broken leg. It doesn't change their heart, right? And if they get healed... Sometimes that heals what's inside of us, but now they're a grumpy, grouchy bully that had a broken leg and now doesn't. So this paralyzed guy, we don't know what was going on in his heart. And I'll tell you, I'm a bit offended. I'm like, Jesus, your sins are forgiven. He's got enough going on against him. Like, why call him out on that right now? But it's actually really dignifying of the man. He's saying, you're a whole person. You are more than just a body that's paralyzed. You have a soul that is worth tending to as well. Jesus cares about our sin, wants us to be unparalyzed, inside and out. Now, the other reason this is a challenge of bringing our impossible to Jesus is because of the example of this story, that it means putting ourselves in the hands of friends. It means surrendering, at times, 
our dignity to our friends so that they can know what is going on with us and they can bring us to Jesus. Guys, this is tough. If you grew up like me, if you grew up in America, you grew up in a country that prides itself on self-sufficiency. And this goes against that. Some of you carry with you a story, and I know this is true because I've talked to many of you, a story that goes like this. I just don't want to be a burden to anybody. And I want to say, if that's you, if you carry that story, that is not from God. I'm going to use a big word here, but I'm going to use it in the right context. So parents, later you can explain it. But that is a lie from hell to say that you are a burden to others and to internalize that and not share the impossible thing that you are facing because you feel that. So I just want to speak that over you. You are not a burden. You are invited to share, just like this man in the story that went through the roof. But it's tough to share because we have this moment of like, man, to put myself in the hands of friends, to go through the roof at the mercy of friends, that's tough. So I want to speak a word of encouragement and challenge. Many of you today, you are holding something that, you've been, that has been paralyzing you. Some of these things I mentioned. So it could be this impossible financial thing. It could be a possible friend thing, a relational thing. It could be a habit that you just can't break. And I just want to give you a nudge. Find friends and let them carry you. Because sometimes when we surrender to friends, that's actually God teaching us how to surrender and submit to him in a way that will bring full healing. So if that's you, let this be a nudge. So what's the other thing we can learn? So Jesus heals impossible situations. And the second thing is the lesson of the four corners. Parents, I want you to write this down. Write down Sticky Faith. That's a book that it's part of our philosophy of ministry and kids and youth. And I'm going to speak directly to parents for a moment and then back up and see how this idea of the four corners of the mat that this paralytic was on applies to all of us. So sticky faith is the idea that um, what helps our faith stick from where I am now as a young person to adulthood. And what you'll find in many of this, this story is true for you, that when your faith stuck, part of the story was caring adults with compelling faith in your life. And what we aim for is we get technical, a ratio of about five to one. If I have five or more caring adults with, caring, caring, uh, caring adults with compelling faith in my life, I am set up very well to have a faith that is really robust because I see so many people following Jesus in compelling ways. And so this book is about that. And we encourage everybody to find that. And it relates to these four corners. So here's the four corners. If you consider the people in your care as a parent or caregiver and the fact that everybody, each one of us, is going to be paralyzed at some point, and what, what do we want? We want someone who's going to take us when we're paralyzed and put us in front of Jesus, no matter the reason. What do those four corners look like? The first one would be family. Home is the primary place of discipleship. And parents and caregivers, we want you to feel equipped and empowered for that. We are praying for you in this. The second is church. Church, a place to worship, a place to be connected to mission, a place to be filled up and to be sent out into the world together. The third is peers, to have spiritual friends, people running alongside us, a place to belong, a place to offer comfort and courage. That's something we pray for every person here. And the last corner is mentors. So disciples, people further along the road. So this is for us and kids and youth, sticky faith. This is why we have our own people um, or you, we ask you to volunteer as leaders with our kids and with our students. We think it's powerful when the family of God is being connected in these relationships of faith to our young people, to the next generation. So if your parents, pray for this. If you're a parent or caregiver, pray for these four corners of the mat for those who God has given you stewardship over. And for all of us, if we step back, this relates to every single person in this room. We all want to have people carrying the four corners of our mat. 
There's going to be times when it's just we've got three. We pray this for all of you. So we pray for family. And I want to send a challenge out right now. Family for us needs to be bigger than nuclear family. We need to be connected beyond those lines. The family of God is much bigger. So I encourage you, if you are a family with kids at home, look around and consider what singles, what young adults, what empty nesters might you be able to invite into your family. We had an incredible time about a year ago. One of our youth leaders called us up and said, our pipes broke. Can we, uh, do you think some of us could stay in your, me and my roommate could stay in your spare bedroom? That turned into six months. And it was one of the greatest six months we've had with our family. I'm not asking you to all do that. But sometimes God surprises you with the family of God and that connection. So let's expand what family looks like. Church, it's the same idea. A place to be filled up and sent out to worship together. Peers. If peers is a place where you feel stuck right now, you heard about neighborhood groups. There's lots of places to connect here. I also want to give shout out to teams again. I've watched with our youth leaders that for them, it's more than just a serving out, but it's a connection to one another. It's being on mission with a friend. Our teams are an incredible way to get connected to peers. And finally, mentors. And this implicates folks on both ends of mentorship. So what does mentorship mean? It's discipling. To disciple someone, you just need to be one step ahead in your journey than someone else. And so I challenge everyone, look behind you. Who is coming behind you? Who might you be able to invite out to coffee, to a meal, to say an encouraging word to you, to feel connected? And on the other side of that, if you've been desiring mentorship, I challenge you to ask, to boldly ask somebody, hey, I'd love to get coffee with you. I want to hear about your walk of faith. I challenge you with that. So those are two things we can take away. Jesus heals impossible situations. And then the four corners. I encourage you all to audit that and pray through it. So there's two questions we can take with us from here. Do we have the questions? Here we are, based on those challenges. Who's carrying your mat? Whose mat are you carrying? That's related to the four corners. And then the second if Jesus were invite, to invite me, invite you, to rise and walk, what would he be healing you from? What is the impossible situation? I want to pray for us, and then we'll go to communion. Heavenly Father, thanks for this time to worship together as the family of God. God, give us courage to bring our impossible to you and to friends. And God, I pray that you would provide people in our life. Give us courage to move past the places where we feel stuck. Meet us in it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.